A New York Minute in History is a production of the New York State Museum, WAMC Northeast Public Radio, and Archivist Media. Support for the project comes from the William G. Pomeroy Foundation. The program is also funded in part by Humanities New York with support from the National Endowment for the Humanities. Any views, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent those of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Welcome to a special episode of a New York Minute in History. I'm Devin Lander, the New York State historian. This episode was recorded on Tuesday, April 7th, 2020, during what is expected to be one of the worst weeks of the COVID-19 pandemic so far, at least nationally. I hope all of our listeners are safe and healthy and practicing social distancing. Today's episode is about how historians can be documenting this pandemic for future generations. As historians, we often work on events that took place in the distant past, yet we all live through and witness important historical events as they are happening. Sometimes we may not realize it, and other times, like with the current pandemic, we realize that we are living through a historically important event. Today, in adherence to social distancing guidelines, I am joined by a phone by three colleagues to discuss ways to document this event we are all living through. One voice our regular listeners will recognize. Hi, Devin. This is Lauren Roberts, the Saratoga County historian and co-host of A New York Minute in History. I'm glad to be here today with some of my colleagues talking about the importance of documenting this unique time we're living in. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've been researching a specific event or time period, and I say to myself, man, I wish these people had written down their thoughts and feelings or how their lives were affected by this particular event. And right now, we're in a unique position to be able to do just that. As municipal historians, part of our responsibility is to collect and preserve the history of our communities. And this is certainly one of those times when collecting those first-hand accounts is really important. And there may be some historians out there looking for a little bit of guidance on how to go about that. So, joining us today on a New York Minute in History, we have Christine Radarski, the City of Rochester historian, and also the president of the Association of Public Historians of New York State. Christine, thanks for joining us from an appropriate social distance. I know that over the last few weeks you've put together some guidelines to assist municipal historians in developing their own collections regarding COVID-19. And I was hoping that you could share some of those guidelines with the listeners and, and maybe talk a bit about specific things you've done in Rochester to begin building your own archive. Thanks, Lauren and Devin. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. Yes, you are absolutely right. The Association of Public Historians of New York State, or AFNES as we like to call it, we represent the 1,600-plus government-appointed historians throughout New York State. And so our role is really to provide educational resources for these historians and to help them to do their job in the best way possible. And so as soon as we started to realize the magnitude of this outbreak, the board began discussing ways of helping our historians to document this issue. And so we recently put out some guidelines for our historians. I first have to say that the most important thing that we've stressed with our members is that health and safety are the number one priority. So we don't want people out there disobeying social distancing guidelines to collect history. 
But there are so many ways in today's digital age that we can be tracking what's happening in our communities. You know, and I think about some of the news articles I've been seeing lately, and a lot of people are showing a strong interest in the influenza uh, outbreak in 1918, and we're reflecting back on that time period to learn about what we need to do today to protect ourselves. It is indeed because of some of what they learned in 1918 that we are practicing social distance today. And so we've realized just how important knowing what happened in the past is to inform what we're doing now. And it's for that very same reason that we need to document what's happening now. Because when the next pandemic comes about, we're going to be asking, what did they do in 2020? And so we're asking our historians and the public in general to start tracking what's happening today. And so there's a lot of ways people can do this. Some of the suggestions that we've made for our members and for the public in general are, first, keep a diary. You know, we don't often do that in the way that people in the past might have done. But there's no reason why we can't just grab a journal and start jotting down every day our notes about what's happening right now. You know, what are you seeing in your community? What are you doing? What are you feeling? Um, What's changed in your day-to-day life? And just write that down. The other thing that AFNES has done is that we've developed a form that people can use to record their stories. And so this is available on our website at afnes.org, www.aphnys.org. And this provides some guiding questions that you can respond to in text format. But we're also encouraging people to write poetry, do art, take photographs, and there's a way to upload those to the site, too. And AFNES will be collecting those and creating a statewide archive But we will also be distributing those throughout the state to our local government historians or historical societies so that these things can be preserved in the communities where they were created. So some of the other things that are happening, you know, people are taking a lot of photographs, posting to social media. How can we capture those? Uh, Those will be very important in this digital age. Um, save and record newspaper articles, you know, and this is a time-tested tradition among historians, right? Anywhere you go in in an archive, you find clippings of newspapers or newspaper archives. So this will be really important. And then, you know, we've got historians throughout the state who are doing different things to preserve this. And I know we're going to talk to Matt Ertz in a few minutes who can tell us about his timeline project. So, you know, there's a lot we can be doing. But the thing I want to stress is that it's not enough just to to document. We need to make sure that these things are getting into the hands of people and organizations who are going to preserve them so that 50 years from now, 100 years from now, we have a place to go where we can find these stories and ensure that they're preserved. Great. Thank you so much, Christine. That really gives um, a lot of guidance for historians. I really appreciate you sharing that. And uh, now I'm going to introduce another guest we have joining us today. Matthew Ertz is the Madison County Historian and also the Vice President of the Association of Public Historians of New York State. Uh, Matt has also been active in collecting information about the COVID-19 pandemic and specifically the ways it has affected Madison County. So Matt has put together a timeline beginning way back when we first began hearing about the coronavirus, and he has continued it up to the present. 
So, Matt, thanks for joining us. And could you tell us a little bit about how you started the timeline, the kinds of information you've included in it, things like that? Thank you for having me. As it kind of broke out and we started to realize it was something that was going to be across the world and, and not just, you know, initially in China or in other places, I thought to myself, I want to have a timeline of how this started, where it went, and how it impacted the world, the United States, New York State, and Madison County. So I started tracking any time there was news um, dating back almost to the beginning when the, the first cases were reported in December, when, when the World Health Organization announced the outbreak on New Year's Eve of 2019. And each time this happened, we I tracked and went along when New York State confirmed its first positive case, which was March 1st of 2020, and all the way through when Madison County starts making announcements, when colleges started announcing that they were going to extend spring break, and, and later they, they canceled classes completely, when the schools started to close, when the hospitals in our county started to announce their visitor responses. Um, and the reason I did this was I wanted to have a timeline to just show how quickly it spread from the world to home. It's been an interesting experience, and in many ways it's been a sad experience because a lot of what you chart it can be negative. Um, to date, now we've focused more on kind of the daily announcements when guidelines get extended. Uh, yesterday we extended the, the New York State pause through April 29th. That's part of this. And every day for Madison County, we track how many new cases there are in Madison County. We've had two deaths, sadly. And then we track how many cases have, have been listed as um, getting better healed um, with, with the hope and understanding that hopefully soon we won't have to track this, but we'll have a great timeline of how this impacted the world, um, the, the, the United States, uh, New York, and Madison County. And I made this available to all the, the folks within my region um, so that they could do it even smaller down to a town level and talk about the impact that their town that this had on their, their towns and their villages and their local communities um, with the hope of, you know, we can use this as a, as a resource down the road just to kind of look and see all the things that happened and how the world changed literally within a month. Thanks, Matt. Um, you know, I, I, I really like the idea of, of keeping a timeline. And, and I think a lot of that is because, um, in the community today, the world today, we're all working from home and life is so up in the air. All the days seem to blend together. I mean, sometimes I feel like I don't even know what day it is. I'm sure I'm not alone there. Um, but also, the, the situation is so fluid. Things are changing so rapidly. Uh, it's hard to remember when the first confirmed case of COVID-19 appeared in our community or our county. So putting together something like a timeline really allows us to look back and see exactly how quickly the situation developed and at what point different measures were put in place by national officials, state officials, and, and right on down to our local officials that um, were really trying to reduce the, the spread of the virus. It's been a unique experience because it's something you have to keep up with every day. So every day I, you know, check our Madison County updates and then I check the New York State updates and the federal updates, and I try and throw in different moments in time where it got, I, this sounds weird, but almost realer. So, you know, that, that night, I think it was March 11th, when the NBA canceled its season, and we all found out Tom Hanks has it, and it was like everything came at once. I think that was when it got 
somewhat real for a lot of people that, that weren't in the epicenters. Um, and then more recently, you know, the Summer Olympics being postponed about a week ago. And, and in just in the last couple of days, the British Prime Minister uh, being put into the intensive care unit, um, that kind of stuff, just to show how quickly it evolved across the world. Um, it, it's, it's definitely, when you look back on it, it's, it's, it's just insane. Yeah, and uh, I just want to comment on the timeline, and, and I think it's such a you know simple concept, but it's incredibly powerful just looking at what you've done already, and the idea that you know it needs to be constantly updated. So it encourages the historian to monitor the situation globally, also within the state and their locale, uh, and and make these notes and and continue it on every day. As Lauren said, the days kind of blend together when you're working from home. But if you're working on this timeline type of concept, I think it's it, it helps you realize not only the the realities on the ground in, in your town or municipality, but also what's happening globally and the general trend of this pandemic. As we see, you know, the governor talking about yesterday possibly reaching a plateau in New York state. Hopefully he's correct. Hopefully the, the numbers start going down. But then what's happening in New York City is not the same thing that's happening in western New York or central New York. So there's going to be different uh, realities on the ground. And tracking them through this timeline concept, I think, is incredibly valuable. And it actually already is on the AFNI's website. So uh, anyone looking for it can go to www.aphnys.org. And under our blog, if you see historians start documenting COVID-19, you'll find a list of suggestions. And within that are links to the documents, to the form I mentioned, and also to a draft of Matt's timeline. So anybody is welcome to take that and use that and update it for their own, own communities. And we're very grateful to Matt for being, being willing to share that. That's great. And and I think, you know, you mentioning the Google form that you guys have created really brings up an important point in how we are collecting the material right now. Um, because this documenting this pandemic is, is so much different. I know, Christine, you mentioned the uh, Spanish influenza pandemic that a lot of us are looking back to. But in our modern world, right, the way that we collect the information is so different from what we have to look back on for that pandemic, right? We're not really writing letters, um, newspapers have been cut down, and it's it's almost, I want to say maybe, you know, 90, 95% digital content um, as as illustrated by the way that you've created a Google form for people to put in all of this information in a digital format that will be saved and preserved. So I'm wondering, um, Matt and Christine, either one of you that want to chime in, um, how should we be collecting this digital content? Uh, how, as far as format, um, you know, if you could give some tips as to ways that we could collect this and keep it in our archives digitally and, and the best way to preserve it, sort of best practices for what we're trying to do right now. Yeah, that is a really tricky question because, of course, people are keeping records in a variety of ways. Uh, Facebook, for example, is one of the, the formats that is being widely used here in my community. There are a number of people or groups who have established Facebook groups. 
Um, one in our community is to help people find supplies that they're having trouble getting, particularly if they can't leave their home for various reasons. Um, another is, you know, about collecting bright spots in the community. So the issue is how do we capture these types of social media posts for the future? And that's tricky in and of itself because we have so many different social media platforms and each one is different in terms of how you can capture that information. So one of the things that I'm looking to do is to reach out to the administrators of those forums to work with them to ensure that once their page is ready to be shut down or becomes less relevant, that we can then capture that information by having them download the content from their sites. Um, I know Matt's been doing some things with newspapers that maybe he wants to talk about. Yeah, one of the things with the timeline is, is in many ways, while there's some positive news, it's inherently negative. And I wanted to make sure that my office tracked the positive news, too. So as we went through um, in different organizations, did different things, and, and these are things that are going on in a lot of communities, you know, the fire departments that are, are helping kids celebrate birthdays, the, you know, in our case, the distillery that uh, converted to production of hand sanitizer. Uh, one of our local villages did a, a food fundraiser getting cereal and milk uh, for kids when, when the schools were first closed. I, I found everything I could, and I made sure to download those records, and I created a digital file um, in my office so that we have a COVID-19 kind of newspaper article. But it's, it's not even limited to that kind of stuff, you know. Um, how many times have we seen posts of people trying different things with food? Um, I think every other photo for about a week and a half there was how empty store cells were, specifically toilet paper. So as, as we try and get those photos, we'll try and get kind of that stuff too um, in, in those newspaper clippings that talk about all that stuff in the moment so that we have a record of local newspapers specifically talking about the things going on. I think what's very different about this, you know, Matt is talking about sort of an age-old resource, newspapers, but the way we read and capture newspaper information is so different today. In the library where I work, we have paper files of newspaper clippings, filling file cabinets. Today, they're not filling physical file cabinets, they're filling hard drives. And that becomes tricky for a lot of us, too, because, you know, what we now understand is that hard drive space can be expensive. And so, you know, as historians, we're struggling now to capture data in new formats and to store those in new ways. And I think this is proving to be a learning exercise for many of us in that, you know, we're all capturing these sorts of things on a smaller basis, on a day-to-day -day basis. But now that we're being overwhelmed with all of this, this information, it is requiring us to rethink how we're managing that digital information and how we're ensuring that it's preserved for the long term. I think that uh, those are important points. And, you know, just from the perspective of the State Museum in Albany, those are real issues for us as we try to grapple with uh, documenting this on a statewide uh, basis. And I know my colleagues in the curatorial department, specifically uh, our curator of our government and politics collection, is 
is collecting everything that comes out of the state, and that's a lot of stuff, <laughs> and it changes daily. And, and uh, you know, this is monitoring the governor's office, monitoring the Department of Health, the state education department, obviously the schools, uh, and, and all the agencies really are grappling with this in their own way and, and uh, in their own unique way in many cases, including the Office of Parks, Recreation, and Historic Preservation, which has had to uh, alter its thinking about, um, you know, gatherings of people at the parks. Initially, the idea was, you know, go and, and enjoy your park while you're being quarantined, but as more and more people have done that, it's become more of a problem because, Social distancing is not always being practiced, so the Office of Parks has had to uh, kind of uh, alter its its recommendation for that. So, you know, these are these are real issues as, as far as how do how do we collect it, where do we store it, how, how do we store it, uh, and these are issues that are being grappled with by the state museum, the state library, state archives, as well as uh, local uh, historical societies. I just do do want to highlight one. Uh, project that's in line with what both Matt and Christine have have talked about, and that's at the Schenectady County Historical Society. The Grimm's Doolittle Library has a COVID-19 archive project where they're doing very similar things, encouraging uh, folks in the community and beyond, really, to uh, to document the the pandemic through their own experience, and then they're offering uh, a place to archive this and to store it. Uh, they have a form that's down, downloadable from their website. Uh, I know Jim, uh, our producer, recently we put out a podcast highlighting this story, which can be found at the Office of State History website. Um, and there's links to what the, the work of the Grimm's Doolittle Library. And uh, some of the, the, the guidelines that they give are very similar to AFNI's, uh, but are also um, you know, encouraging folks who are not historians. These, these are people who are living through this, who are not uh, trained historians, to to document their own lives and then add it to this collection. So I think we're going to be seeing, and I know we are seeing this happening more and more at um, museums and historical societies around the state. And I should note that AFNES is working on a crowdsourcing collection project, too, that we hope to launch in the next week. And that will allow residents to upload photographs and record their own oral stories about their experience as well. So it's sort of a oral history project in a smaller format where people can record short stories. And we're very eager to get that out to the broader New York State community so that individuals who are not necessarily historians have yet another format for sharing their experiences. I wanted to mention that um, we can, you know, kind of take a page from our books as historians when we look back at what is not traditionally documented in that we should remember to try to collect information about underrepresented populations and how they are dealing with this uh, pandemic and living through it. Um, things like um, minorities, uh, you know, what's, what's happening in our prisons with the inmates, um, mm. maybe uh, people who are less privileged, their stories are going to be very different than um, some of the traditionally collected materials or some of the traditionally collected materials. Um, so I would encourage the historians listening to 
try to document all different aspects of society and maybe people who have been underrepresented in the past. That's a great point, Lauren, and um, we are seeing currently uh, statistics that are coming out nationally that uh, this pandemic is, is affecting communities of color and higher percentages uh, than, than other communities, and um, it's very important for us to realize um, that, that there are uh, differences in, in socioeconomic background that are really play a role in uh, how things like pandemics can play out in different communities. And also the prison population, there continues to be stories coming out from prisons around New York State and nationally about um, outbreaks and, and how difficult that is to manage. Um, so that, that's very excellent point. Uh, one other thing I wanted to mention is that I know we've really been talking a lot about how historians can collect information, but I think Christine really hit on this point with asking you know, the general public to contribute to this uh, project that AFNES is working on, but also just so that people know, you can email your local historian and you can attach photographs that you've taken or maybe you have a, a young child who celebrated their birthday with a drive-by birthday parade um, because of the limitations of social distancing we have to cancel parties and gatherings but we've seen a lot of this on social media uh, I would encourage people to find the email address for your local historian send an email attach your pictures of the empty store shelves attach the pictures of of the downtown with no cars, no people walking around. Attach pictures of small businesses that are closed or restaurants that are only available for takeout. Uh, you can simply just you know, click the button and send those pictures so that they will be available for people who are researching this in the future and let the historians you know, remember to include your name, the date the picture was taken, and the location, and then um, help us to collect the information that you know, it, one person can't collect by themselves. And along with that, something to keep in mind is since I posted um, the AFNI notes a little while back to our regional and through our social media feeds in Madison County, I've actually gotten a number of emails of people wondering what's the format I should use. And the short answer I've told everybody is the format you're most comfortable with because we want you to document about you. Um, you know, and when people ask to get more specific, I tell people, you know, I hate to say everything, but everything, because we want to know about how your daily routine has changed. We want to know about what you're doing uh, if the kids are home and how you're dealing with that. We want to know, I told a couple people, the senses. How are your senses different? Did you live in a community that you used to be able to walk and smell coffee at your local coffee shop every morning, and now that's gone? Did you, uh, just what, what you said, are places now boarded up or, or sealed off because they're closed? How has that changed? Do you hear wildlife more than you've heard it in the past? That kind of stuff is just as important because it's, it's changing who we are in the moment. Uh, it's changing how we interact with our community. Even things like calendars, you know, save your calendars because what I've noticed with my own personal calendar is suddenly my calendar is populated with Zoom meetings. So, you know, something that we don't even necessarily think of as a historical record really can be. It can really demonstrate the way things are changing in the community. You bring up a good point, Christine. One of the things that we're doing at the Office of State History 
is documenting um, and providing resources for historians and museums, uh, but also documenting the effects of the pandemic on these museums. So I'm a, a, I receive newsletters from museums across the state, hundreds of them, um, and it's very intriguing to me to see how, um, you know, right around when New York shut down or was put on pause, um, all of the newsletters changed to COVID-19 updates. So they're giving updates from the museum. So we're collecting all of that. The other thing, when you mentioned the calendar, we have a, a calendar of events on the state uh, website. And uh, the, the entire calendar for March and April was, was wiped out. And we had a populated uh, with dozens of events that were taking place at historical societies or history-related events across the state, and all of those were canceled because of this and because of social distancing. So um, we still have the record of these events that were supposed to take place, um, and, and, we, and then we see the, the reality of them all being canceled and, and understand that um, it's truly striking to see how um, the effects of, of this pause on, on museums and historical sites um, but as going forward, you know, it, it's, it's, it's also interesting to see how museums are adapting and going to virtual content and online resources. And uh, many museums have already been doing this, um, but, but some are doing it for the first time. And they're utilizing things like Facebook Live and, and other ways of, of free ways to do it. Hi, friends. Welcome to the New York State Museum. My name's Kat Morehouse and I'm an instructor here. And today we're going on a virtual field trip. We're gonna be learning about Adirondack animals. And if you guys have any questions or wanna participate, just use the comment box below. Hi, my name is Bob Ferenic. I'm currently the curator of modern mammals and curator of Ice Age animals at the State New York State Museum. These are our Facebook Live field trips. Um, I'm going to show you today a background uh, tour of the Ice Age Animal Collection, highlighting some of the animals that we have here at the State Museum. Good afternoon. My name is Jennifer Lamack. I'm the Chief Curator of History here at the New York State Museum. And we are doing this Facebook Live event because the museum's closed. And we have these wonderful artifacts and displays set up for the public um, before COVID-19 happened. Uh, so we are here to share some of our suffrage artifacts with you and a, a quilt installation from the Susan B. Anthony Museum and House in Rochester, New York that's here on loan. Um, I'm going to talk to you today about one of our most iconic history artifacts, the suffrage wagon. I had so much fun with you today and we hope to see you again at the museum soon. Bye! So we're, we're kind of seeing that as well and, and documenting that as well as as the, the initial wave of newsletters was all cancellation, cancellation, cancellation. The second wave was all, or is continuing to be, um, here's what we've got virtually. Here's how you can still reach out to us and access our content or access our uh, online exhibits or whatever that may be. So that's all being, uh, being documented by, by the Office of State History and, and is really um, a, going to be a striking resource going forward. 
you know, and Devin, when you're talking about newsletters, the primary means that those are coming to us are through email. And one mm. of the things that I've been doing just as a simple means of collecting information very rapidly right now is any email that comes into my inbox that is about COVID-19 immediately gets saved to a COVID-19 archive folder. And, you know, I don't necessarily have the time to manage those right now, but they're all being preserved so that I can go back and track those later. And that's something that anybody in the community can be doing because we're all getting messages from different organizations. And so even just tracking the messaging that's coming out of organizations throughout the communities can be very helpful. And if you're saving those, they can be transferred to your historian or your historical society over time. So that's a simple something that I can suggest that people do. Great point, and that's what we're doing too. Like you say, we we can't manage it right now because there's so much, but um, we get what we can up on the the website, and uh, the the rest and all of them get archived in a in a folder for now. And then going forward, you know, hopefully when things return to normal, we can start uh, wading into that and and sorting them. But um, that's a great point, and it's something that that people in the community can do with their own news feed and, and social media feed too. Just just if there's a way to just uh, put it in a folder and, and, and document it that way and then uh, as we move forward we can take a, a closer look at these things. My question is for the three of you who are all local historians. Two of you are county historians. One of you is the city historian. And as we think about things like the 1918 pandemic, I'm struck by the idea that the reality of New York's network of local historians really began in 1919, and it began because the state historian at the time, Dr. Sullivan, was interested in documenting the effects of World War I on New York State, and he realized that he couldn't do that from Albany by himself or with a small staff. And what he really needed was historians in the community that could document the history of their community. And because of that, and because of that understanding of how valuable that would be, the local government historians law was passed in 1919, and we just celebrated 100 years of that last year. Um, and it's somewhat ironic and also important for me to highlight how this network of historians in New York State, represented by AFNES, is now poised to be able to document another great and sorrowful event in New York's history, which is this current pandemic. And um, without the vision of James Sullivan in 1919, and without New York's continued commitment to history, and without local government's continued commitment to their local historians and the work of these local historians who have toiled for decades, uh, we wouldn't have this capability, and other states don't have this capability. So I would just throw out a question to the three of you. How do you think this current pandemic is being played out as far as local government historians are concerned, and what do you think this pandemic will do to hopefully raise uh, awareness of local historians in the community and their value to their local government. 
Right now, I think people are too in the thick of what's happening around them to really think about you know, their historians and the role that we're playing. But I think as we get a little further out from this, it's going to become very apparent why we need historians. And, you know, we already within AFNES are starting to see the void in places where there are vacancies in the historian position. Those of us in the state who are working hard at documenting this history are in communication with each other, and we know just the amount of work that's going into ensuring that we document this. And we also, unfortunately, know that there are places with vacancies who are not going to be documenting this event in the same way. And I think what we'll find over time is that there are voids in the information that is available for certain communities. And I think that's a real shame. But on the bright side, I think you are right in that because we have this network of historians, New York is probably going to be the best documented state in the country when it comes to capturing what COVID-19 has meant for our state and for the individual communities here. So I think, you know, we're, we're all affected, right? We're all considered quote unquote non-essential employees. So, but we are working from home, all of these local historians, and we are lucky that we can collect while we're home. So even though we you know, may not be sitting in our offices, it actually may be better that we are home and from a social distance, we can be boots on the ground documenting what is happening every day in our own communities. So I think that we have this in our minds. We have the example of the 1918 Spanish influenza pandemic and now that we see people struggling to look back, what do we have from this? And and honestly, you know, the archives are pretty slim because we did not have that network of local historians in place at the time. But now we realize it. And I think you can even look back at an event that's as close as 9-11 to us, um, also an important sad event in New York, um, that, you know, we had local historians in place. I know my archive at Saratoga County, we have an archive on 9-11. We recognized then the importance of this type of collection that was needed immediately at the time the event was happening. And so I think, you know, even today with this type of pandemic, we recognize it now. We have the ability to be collecting. And I think, you know, echoing what Christine said, 10 years from now, you will really see the benefit of what we are able to do at this moment. And I think something like this podcast where, you know, four historians from across New York State are getting together and talking about how can we do this, sharing our experiences, guidelines for the rest of the historians that are out there wondering what should I be doing. And, you know, they can also contact us with their great ideas and help everybody else out so that we can have as complete an archive as possible so that 10, 20, 30 years from now we can look back and see how we were able to deal with this. And I think, you know, we take comfort in the fact that we can look back and say, they got through this, we will get through whatever is going to happen in the future. So now it's my turn. you gotta be, you got to <laughs> top those two. <laughs> 
I think my experience deals more with talking to my local community historians, both in Madison County and throughout our region, and the desire to make sure that we're all not necessarily following the same template, but are are trying to get the same information in terms of we want to get as much as we can from the people that are important. So when we started talking about this, uh, we talked to our historians about talking to their local communities, their neighbors. Uh, when social distancing really went into effect, we talked about the possibility of using something like Skype or Zoom or this and that, that you can talk to different people about their experiences both in your local community and when possible, talk to the people that have been at the front line of this. Uh, if, if, if you're capable, the medical personnel, uh, and not necessarily going and knocking on a door, but, you know, I know a few nurses that work at our local hospital. I spoke with them. I know a grocery store manager. I spoke with him. All these different things that you can talk to these people and say, and even your local government officials, talk to the people that are in your town. Don't bother them. You know, um, but talk to them when they're capable and just kind of get their insight because everyone's experiencing this and they're all experiencing this in their own way. And our local historians can kind of gather that. And when, you know, you talk about the difference between rural and, and, and city and, you know, the different communities we talked about that are being affected, that way we have a broad spectrum of all these different things because New York is a lot of different things. Um, and we can bring that together and show the differences that happened and how different communities responded and how they were helped or weren't helped and that kind of stuff. So to me, the local historians, everybody doing this is going to create that broad story, and we can take it down to a local level or show it statewide. Matt, that was an excellent great. answer. Yes, I agree. All three were great. I just want to take the opportunity to thank our two guests who took the time today to speak with us about how historians can be documenting this pandemic that's affecting all of our lives. A special thanks to Christine Rogarski, City of Rochester historian and president of the board of the Association of Public Historians of New York State. Christine, what's the best way for someone to contact you? Yeah, folks can reach me through AFNIS at Public Historians nys at gmail.com and that's public historians plural i also can be reached in the city of rochester at christine.radarski at libraryweb.org and you can always visit the AFNIS website at www.aphnys.org and matt ertz the madison county historian and vice president of AFNIS. matt what's the best way for someone to contact you the same way as Christine, my email address is my name, Matthew.URT is in Tom, Z is in Zebra, at madisoncounty.ny.gov. Or you can always check out our local Madison County Historian social media page um, where we post all sorts of different things, uh, Madison County centric. Lauren Roberts, my co host, Saratoga County Historian, what's the best way for someone to reach you? Uh, I'll. Echo what they said. Email is always the easiest since we're all out of our offices right now. And my email address is lroberts at saratogacountyny.gov. Great. And as state historian, uh, you can contact me at my email, which is devin.lander at nyse.gov. 
www.ohiostate.gov, or you can check out the Office of State History website, which lives on the New York State Museum website. So if you Google that, you'll see our website, which we are able to update daily from our remote location. So we are posting material related to the history community and the COVID-19 pandemic on a daily basis. So please check that out as much as possible. And I would like to encourage our listeners, historians, and people who love history uh, to be safe during this time. That is the most important thing. And please practice social distancing guidelines so that we can flatten the curve.